2: Get started today at plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash loss.
0: Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zippybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at ZibbyMag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com. And I recently opened a book Joe Piazza and Christine Pride are co-authors of You Are Always Mine, a novel. This episode has been guest hosted by Julie Chavez, host of the podcast Ask a Librarian and author of the upcoming Zibby Books title, Everyone But Myself. Joe Piazza is a best-selling author, podcast creator, and award-winning journalist. She is the national and international best-selling author of *We Are Not Like Them*, *Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win*, *The Knockoff*, and *How to Be Married*. Her work has been published in ten languages in twelve countries, and four of her books have been optioned for film and television. A former editor, columnist, and travel writer, her work has also appeared in *The Wall Street Journal*, *New York Times*, *New York Magazine*, *Glamour*, *L. Time*, *Marie Claire*, *The Daily Beast*, and *Slate*. She holds an undergraduate degree from the University of Pennsylvania in economics and communication, a master's in journalism from Columbia University, and a master's. In religious studies from New York University, she lives in Philly with her husband Nick Astor and three feral children. Christine Pride is a writer, editor, and longtime publishing veteran. She has held editorial posts at many different trade imprints, including Doubleday, Broadway, Crown, Hyperion, and Simon and Schuster. As an editor, Christine has published a range of books with a special emphasis on inspirational stories and memoirs, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. As a freelance editorial consultant, she does select editing and proposal content development, as well as teaching and coaching, and pens a regular column, Race Matters, for Cup
2: of Joe. She lives in New York City. Hello, Christine and Joe. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. We are so excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm so thrilled to be the person to interview you today. I finished your book last night, and the title is You Were Always Mine. It's so good. I have to tell you this morning, so I was almost done last night, but it was getting late and I was getting a little bit sleepy, so I finished the last chapter and I saw the epilogue and I thought, nope, I'm going to wait till tomorrow morning because I was so invested that I thought I don't want to read this while I'm falling asleep, like it just it deserves my full attention. And I woke up this morning and read it, and my son came in and he goes, "Are you living your best life?" and I said, "Yeah. Did you get a ride to school or what? But it just, it was a beautiful book. So congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. We're really excited. Like we said, we're at the beginning of the publication process. And that's always so exciting where you, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And you're so excited to talk to readers. And, uh, you know, this is really fun. Totally. It's like going going
3: on a first date. Or secondary. <laughs> yes. You're still into it. You're still totally into it. You're still
2: into it. Well, that leads perfectly to my next question, which is I realize you are both very busy accomplished women and you have things in your life, but how do I get to be part of your co writing club? Are you looking for a third person? Can I be at the top of the list?
1: The more the man,
3: yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, we would be into a triple, triple. Oh, I don't know how you say it <laughs> exactly. You really have
1: to be in a Google Docs, though. That's that was my mm-hmm. first uh, kind of uh, indoctrination into the okay. co writing, learning Google Docs. So, that just so you know, is a hazing prerequisite. Okay. You- Hear a word, girl.
2: <laughs> I will I will get prepared. I'm very excited about this. No, but I was reading the book and I thought this is so seamless and your pace. I mean, it's just really all so beautifully done. So I want to talk a little bit about the process for you guys, mm-hmm. but first I want to talk about why how did you decide that motherhood was going to be the topic for this one? Because you write about it mm-hmm. with a real appreciation and honesty and just a tenderness that I really Loved from all the characters. So how did you decide that that was the topic?
3: We've known for a while, um, okay. actually. We had this idea when we first sold We Are Not Like Them. Okay. Um, so when we first submitted the hundred pages of that um, and sold it on proposal, this was the second book that we were going to write. So we've known, how long is that, Christine? Christine's better with time than I am. Twenty-eight. Five years ago?
1: Right, yeah, wow. Five years ago.
3: Um, <laughs> And uh, Christine is the one who actually came up with the bones for this idea, which is interesting if you think about it, because Christine is the part of our team that is child-free by choice. And I am the part of our team that is constantly pregnant. (laughs) But this idea, which was so, I mean, it was so little, it was just a few lines of an idea, really took shape over the next five years I had three kids and then, you know, the world also changed with how we treat mothers and how we care for mothers, especially through the pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. this idea, I think for both of us became more important than ever.
1: Absolutely, and I was just going to add that um, you know we've always been interested, obviously, as a, a interracial writing duo, in the idea of how race plays out, right, in, mm-hmm. in intimate spaces. We say so in our first book, it was a friendship, right, and how race was on top of all the other factors that are a part of friendship. How race is a layer there when you have an interracial friendship. And we wanted to do the same thing here. When you take a really intimate relationship and nothing is more intimate than a mother-daughter or mother-child bond, right? And uh, you add a layer to that of race. So what happens when you have a white mother, a black mother, chosen family, foster care, uh, it all lends itself to a lot of, we thought rich themes that we could dig into and with a lot of nuance, which is what we tried to do with our first book as well, to show that there's so much complexity here.
2: Mm-hmm. I really like hearing that. And I think it really lent a lot to the tension too, because the stakes are so high. I mean, these are lives and relationships. And so to see them play out on the page was really moving. You guys did a fantastic job with that part. I was walking around the house with my Kindle reading it because I just really needed to know how it was going to go. And I had a personal, my mom was adopted at oh. birth. So, and she met her birth mother when she was
3: 37.
2: Oh, so wow.
3: I, now I want to hear all about her story.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> it actually is, a. will tell it quick because it is a great story. She was born in 1955. Her mom did not want to share that information with her, her, my grandmother. And so after she passed away, my mom was going through her things. She found a last name and my mom picked up a phone book from Denver. We Mm -hmm. lived in Vail at the time. We had an old phone book from Denver. My mom picks it up, looks up that last name, dials the first number, says, hi, I'm looking for a woman who might have given up a child in 1955. And the man on the other side says, that's my sister. (gasps) And so, I know, it's so insane. Wow. And so then he uh, called her on my mom's behalf. She called back. So I had the great fortune of knowing both of them, both my grandmother and
1: mm -hmm,
2: her birth mother. So yeah, it's, but this is the thing is that those stories are so, there are so many and they're all so rich and Again, I mean, I use the word again, but tender, where it's just, it's Mm -hmm. like intimate spaces. You're exactly right. So I think that definitely had me, I connected with it on that level, but I also connected because I'm a mom and all the things. So I just, I thought it was so good. And I can't wait to go back and read your other book.
1: Well, we love that because, I mean, thank you for sharing that because one of the beautiful things about being on tour and talking to readers about we are not like them for the last two years, obviously people sharing their stories of friendship. Yes. It's so interesting to switch to a completely different topic, obviously motherhood and adoption and foster care and how we create families and then hear all these amazing stories about you know, adoption and foster care and people finding family and discovering later and, you know, when secrets come out and reconnections and all of the whole bit. And so, you know, to the degree that which our novels can be a vehicle for people to, you know, tell us their stories. We love it. So,
2: Well, and it's such a beautiful, I think, opportunity right now too, because even my mom's story, I mean, there were so many issues and things that were kept secret around adoption, especially. And now we do have, we live in a different age, which, you know, sometimes for better or worse, but it Mm. just has this element of there can be more openness. And I think you did a good job sort of showing that in some of the relationships and how things were resolved. So it just, it was really, really tenderly and beautifully done. I loved it. Okay. So I have this question. I know you mentioned this, by the way, when you were saying child-free by choice, when I was writing this down, I was, thinking, okay, Christine has a lot of mothering roles in her life. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking we also need new terms for this because I was thinking if you're child free by choice, then Joe is child burdened by choice.
1: (laughs) So you have to start using that now instead of mother. I am child burdened by choice. It It does.
3: Or saddled was another word I had written down. Child saddled. Saddled with children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I do say that quite often. Yeah. But you know, here's the interesting thing. I Uh, I I wrote some Instagram post or Substack, I don't know something lately where I was complaining about my kids and I got a comment from someone that goes well then you shouldn't have had them if you're going to complain about them shut up that's adorable that's so cute (laughs) I can complain about whenever I want to especially my children but yeah saddled saddled feels like a good word
2: (laughs) well yeah of course we love them it's just like Partners and people in your life. I mean, it's
1: my job to love you and complain about you. Uh Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We love our family and we complain about our family, and that is human nature.
2: (laughs) Yep. It's a God given right. It is. It is a God given right. Okay. So, on that note, what's one thing that you each learned from the other in the Mm -hmm. writing of this book that maybe surprised you when it came to mothering your mother? Like, what was one thing that you learned?
1: Well, I learned that Joe was pregnant during the writing of this book. That was a surprise when she called me to tell me. That might not be exactly what you meant in terms of. But I like it.
3: I also like it. Fun fact that pregnancy was a surprise to me, too. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I love surprises. Unexpected. Well, I also took the pregnancy test on April Fool's Day, which didn't make it any less of a surprise to my (laughs) husband. (laughs) We've actually. We've talked about this a lot because we're actually batting around the idea to write an essay about myths that mothers have about women who don't have kids and that women who don't have kids have about mothers. And I think that there is mothers, because of all the things that we're juggling, you know, often think, oh, well, she doesn't have kids. She can't be as busy as me. She must have so much free time. Yes. uh, And I think that's a myth that really deserves to be shot down because Christine is one of the hardest working people I know with an incredibly busy schedule, caring for things that are not children, caring for friends, caring for friends' children, caring for parents. And But I do think that that is something that gets assumed a lot. And Mm -hmm. so that's one thing that we really, we would like to talk about.
1: And I think the opposite is true too. And this comes up, especially in a writing partnership where we're friends but we're also colleagues and it's you know are you prioritizing your kids over working right i mean i mm-hmm, think people mm-hmm. feel it in their offices too it's like sure. well you know are they shirking their duties because they're always going to bta meetings or you know their kids activities and that's a, a, the reverse of a not fair myth that people have about i mean p- basically people should stay out of judging other people's lives and what they're doing Mm -hmm. with it and how much time they do or do not have because it's really none of our business but it is so pervasive to say you know what are you really bringing to the table here and what is distracting you from it and joe and i you know really stay away from that because we respect both of Mm -hmm. our like choices and our time and our commitment to our projects together so that's been interesting
2: that's such a unique thing that's a burden for women too right? Where it's it's just assumed that you're always somehow not showing up as your full self or bringing your full self because you have other things in your life when the opposite is totally true, right?
1: Mm -hmm. You're better
2: at managing things often when you have more happening, regardless of whether it's children or not. So- That makes total sense to me. How do you guys do the co-writing? Because I need to know since I'm going to be in
1: on it. Right, right. This is is really going to be a trial by fire. Get ready. (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) Um, We, as I mentioned, use a Google Doc. Okay. Mm -hmm. We really start with creating... A really detailed outline of what's going to happen in the story, so we have a roadmap to follow. And Joe knows that I love a plan and a map and an outline, Mm -hmm. and you know, just anything to get us organized makes me so happy.
2: Do color code it?
1: I wish. I wish there was a way to do that in a Google Doc. Okay, Uh, (laughs) limitation. But we really, we sit down and a lot of that is collaborative on the phone, right? Or on Zoom or what have you, where we're thinking through things and brainstorming before yeah. we get into the writing process. And so that takes us a while. And then we, you know, put all those notes in a Google Doc with a timeline and, you know, kind of a chapter by chapter outline. And so then once we have that, we can go both go back and forth and taking turns and starting drafting the chapter because we know at least roughly what's going to happen in that chapter. And so we go back and forth and do that until uh, we're sort of happy with that chapter and then move on to the next chapter and keep going and keep going like a marathon until we get to those magic words, the end. And then we start back from the beginning. <laughs> and then we do it all again and read it. I think the fun
3: thing that we get to do as co-writers that you don't get to do if you don't have a co-writer is we read it out loud to each other a lot. Um, fun, fun. Which finds just, I mean, it finds mistakes uh, really well. For sure. (laughs) It also just, I think, helps with voice and tone and craft in so many ways. And no one else will read your book aloud with you. No one else loves your book as much as you do. And so I think that's a real gift when you have a co-writer to do that. I I really enjoyed doing that with Christine twice now.
1: Same, Yeah. And to really say, you know, is this working along the way? Is this working? So many times when you're writing alone or, you know, I was an editor for many years, so I know that when you're working one-on-one with a writer, oftentimes it's you're getting, if not a finished draft a pretty significant chunks at a time. Yes. And that is less of a, you know, day-to-day kind of minute-to-minute that Joe and I are able to do with each other, which is, is this working, you know, is this chapter working? Even is this graph working? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing to get that kind of constant feedback is really the beauty of, of having a co-writer.
2: Yeah. Does it feel... Like you can write faster in that way? Is it faster or slower, I guess, is my question.
1: That's a really good question. And I mean, Jo would be able to answer that more than I can because she's written 5,000 other books before this. I don't really have a baseline comparison to know how long it would or wouldn't take. I mean, I feel like we're both pretty fast just in general. Joe is much faster than I am even with that. But I also think part of the the speed is that we have to keep each other on task, that we have mm. deadlines to each other to keep us focused. And so some of that is just accountability, whereas doing it on your own, you can, you know, put it down for a month, two months, three months, right? I mean, you know, you can just slow yourself down in a way that you can't with another person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I agree. It's it's different. I'll yeah. say that it, okay. it it is really different because when I write on my own, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants, which Christine hates it when I talk about this. This gives her hives. It freaks her out so much. <laughs> I don't write with an
1: outline. The listeners can't keep me <laughs> nodding furiously and getting those hives. Even the yes. words fly by the seat of my pants. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen. Next.
2: <laughs> Terrifying. She, You're already feeling itchy.
3: She is. She is. I just finished another novel. I'm like, I didn't know how it was gonna end. So and that gives you a little bit more freedom right yes. like you sit down and you just go and it's a different kind of process like i think the characters develop differently in your mm-hmm. brain in some ways that is faster because you don't have to rely on someone else right so you don't have to like kind of grapple over over sentences and stuff it evolves in a different way. Mm-hmm. That said, you also don't have the checks and balances. And so you do have a longer re-editing process and searching for reader people to read it early and give you feedback. Christine and I have a built-in feedback system, so which is each other. So in that way, I'd say they probably both take the same amount of time. They're just wildly different processes. Mm.
2: That makes total sense because you'd almost have a more polished first draft
1: Mm-hmm. quote-unquote,
2: between the two of you because you
1: have revised mm-hmm. yeah. as you've gone. For sure. We yeah. turn in more polished drafts to our editors for that reason. I bet the editors love that. They do love that. And we love our editors. There, That's so- perfect. We
3: do love our editors. They're all, all of them. They're wonderful.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp,
2: H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. That's fantastic. That's a good thing. Christine, what is your favorite thing about Joe?
1: Oh, gosh. Oh. So many things. I think Joe is always present and always like available for work or a good time. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like Joe is very fly by the seat of her pants. (laughs) She's very go with the flow. And, you know, she's really, as far as productive as she is, which she is one of the most productive people I know, she's very chill about it. And so, you know, we'll have work to do or deadlines, but somehow it's still, we can fit in getting drinks at one of our favorite restaurants here in Harlem when she comes up to New York and still work. And like, she's a good balance of like, you know, being... Fun friend, always out for a good time, but also always ready to buckle down and get something done. <laughs> and that is a, I feel like, unique combination. Absolutely, Joe. What about for you? What's your favorite thing about Christine? Oh
3: my God, she's just like the best at being a friend, mm-hmm. I and mean, she's really, really wonderful at like, knowing what you need as a friend and how to take care of you as a friend. But then also, she's the best editor that I've ever had. We met when she was my editor for Charlotte Walsh likes to win. And we became close when we did that. And I just, I feel so lucky that I get to write books with her and have her, you know, as that editorial voice as we write books together. And then also for other projects that I'm working on, that she's just always there to give this feedback that is honed from 20 years of doing what she's been doing very, very well.
2: I love hearing those, by the way.
1: Thanks for asking us that. Nobody's ever asked us that before. I feel like we were on the newlywed game. like... (laughs)
2: that's what we should have done, right? I could have had you answer things beforehand. Dang, that was a missed opportunity. I love hearing that. And you can definitely sense it in the book. You guys have a really healthy synergy between you because it's so smooth. And the editor, when you were saying, Joe, that Christine's the best editor you have worked with, I can see that in the pacing of the book.
3: Oh, yeah. She's very, very good at that. I am not, she's much better than I am at that.
2: Well, and I'm sure I will read your other books and love them. Not that you're (laughs) terrible about pacing, but I mean, I just could feel like when I was waiting for a beat, there it was, you just, it Mm -hmm. was so natural.
1: Well, that's what I think. And another beauty of working with somebody in, you know, this kind of partnership, and it took us some time to figure this out, was really how to leverage each other's strengths, right? Because obviously people are good different things. um, And, you know, really paying attention to that and using that to our advantage, right? Like I, as an editor, you do kind of develop an intuitive sense of structure and pacing because that's mainly what people need, right? They Mm -hmm. write great books and then you come in and you sort of undergird them with more of a an organization and, you know, the, the tension and the moon a book needs along the way. So, you know, that is something that I bring to the table, whereas Joe is really good at one, getting words down and getting, you know, sort of mechanics and characters and like the actual grit of the book, you know, mm. and where things are going to happen and how they're going to happen. And all of those things are, you know, obviously so important, like getting a character from A to B is one of the hardest things <laughs> about writing, which is mind blowing. Um, and so it is nice that we can play to our strengths that way. And I think the books that we write benefit from that. And that's nice to see. That makes total sense.
2: Joe, what are you? Okay. I know you're both voracious readers, obviously. Mm -hmm. What are you reading right now?
3: Oh, I just finished Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld and really enjoyed it. I didn't know anything about it going into it, which is nice. I need to do that more where I just read a book knowing nothing about what it's about. I also just finished The Whispers by Ashley Audrain and enjoyed that a lot. That's out, I think, the same day as our book in in June. And to, to that end, just finished The Spare Room by Andrea Bartz, which I think is also out the same day that we're out.
1: Lots happening on June
2: 13th. (laughs) Right? It's a party. I'm excited. That's a great day. That's
3: a good lineup.
2: It's a good lineup. Ashley Audrain, author of The Push, correct? Yes, Ashley Audrain, author of The Push. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did this one have the same vibes or different vibes?
3: The same-ish same vibes. I mean, this focused more... The Push, I think about The Push all the time, by the way.
2: That's that's exactly what I was thinking. Is this one going to stay in my mind forever?
3: Yes. This one is definitely a little different, but I think about the, The Push all the time as... You know, the mother of a three and a five and a half year old and a three and a half year old. And sometimes I look at them and I'm like, did you do that on purpose? (laughs) Like, is there evil inside of you? (laughs) But this one, this one focuses more on the mothers involved and the unfulfilled desires and passions of women and how we interact with each other and the secret things that women who are both friends and not friends are thinking about one another. And I think mm. she's just so good at writing modern women and writing about motherhood. So I I really, I really enjoyed it a lot. Okay. I'll put it on oh, my list. It. I
1: know we both have to add it to our list. I haven't read it either.
3: What are you reading right now, Christine? Yeah.
1: I'm reading Happy Place. I'm such an Emily Henry fan. It's so fun. I was so happy to see her number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, as an editor, it's like the list is the list, right? It's something that you're always like chasing. And it's just perfect when a book that deserves to be there, an author that has worked so hard, that has built such a following in such an organic way, is so by all accounts lovely. And to see that, you know, kind of response from readers and then to read the book and love it as much as, you know, readers have, it's just, it's a delight. So I'm really enjoying that.
2: Fun. I have that one on my shelf and I love the color of the cover design.
1: Right. It's It's so poppy, that pink. I just want to paint everything that pink. It's like the Color of summer. It's so true.
2: Yes. I should paint a room that. I bet my husband would be really happy if yeah. he came home from his work trip and our bedroom were pink. He would. He would. Do it. I
1: mean you still have some time to do it. <laughs> I
2: do. He's not home <laughs> <on> until tomorrow <laughs> night. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I have to give a nod to your language in the book and the way that you were so insightful about motherhood. There were a couple lines. I've never been so bone-tired, and something new and terrifying happens every couple of hours. I was like check and check. And the other thing was the time loop with a baby. The days are approximately 567 hours long and pass in a flash at the exact same time. Now, I have a question. Christine, were those lines that you weighed in on or were those ones that Joe came up with?
1: I am a close observer and voyeur of motherhood. You know, 90% of my friends have young children right now. So I feel like vicariously immersed. But I think that's one of those things in terms of our sentence by sentence kind of editing process. And the beauty of having co-writers are working together is we get kind of a nugget of an idea or like, you know, we want this Mm -hmm. description and then you have the other person to like refine the sentences. Mm. And so it's it is hard to tell when we go back through the book, right? Like, you know, sentence by sentence because people wait in. Like I, for example, write, am prone to writing very long sentences. They're so long. Sometimes they're so long. Yeah, there's a lot Three of Three sentences, I think, you know, so there's that. But I don't know. I think it's, it's just we've weighed in all the way all the way through. It's interesting. I can't tell you who wrote what at this point,
3: with most, with a lot of it, with probably 90% of it. I mean, I'm sure that there's some that I'm like, oh yeah, that was, but like, we both tinker with so
1: much Mm -hmm. of it that it really is a full-on collaboration. It just becomes a meld. That's so great. Yeah, and it's so funny because a lot of people asked us for our first book, which was told in alternating points of view between Riley, our Black character, and Jen, our white character, you know, how did you, or they assumed rather that, I, as the Black person, wrote Riley, the Black character, and Joe wrote Jen, the white character. And in this version, it's more Cinnamon, who's a Black woman. It's, you know, I would say 80% her story, and then we get Uh Daisy's story blended in, so it's not that same 50-50. But, you know, in the same way, we both had to weigh in on... All different aspects, right, of, like we always say with Riley and Jen, right, it's about race, but it was also about being a friend and being an ambitious woman and so forth. And for this book, certainly, you know, it's about race and it's about motherhood, but it's also about friendship and, Mm. you know, the choices that you have to make, the sacrifices you're willing to make. It's about past trauma and how you reckon as an adult with what has happened to you as a child and what is fair or not fair and how you create family. And, you know, my parents were foster parents. And so that was a big theme, you know, obviously through the book. And I drew a lot from that experience. So we are both writing from lots of different personal experiences and observations and, you know, feelings and emotions. And it's a tapestry. <laughs> I think that's one of the things you did learn about me, though, Joe. Just to circle back to that question, mm-hmm. I don't think you knew my parents or foster parents until we started talking about this idea.
3: No, not until we started talking about this idea. Yeah, that's interesting. this conversation so long ago, but yeah, that was the first time that I knew. It's like that time that I learned about your brother, the professional baseball player.
1: Oh, right. You just know my brother is a professional athlete. Yeah. <laughs> See, writing books—it really—it is like the Newlywed Game. You learn a lot about people. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. You really do. But I think it speaks to so many of the, there's so much we intuitively understand about motherhood, Mm -hmm. regardless of our situation, because so many women are caretakers. We care for Mm -hmm. each other in friendships and relationships and all sorts of ways. So seeing how you guys were able to put those together, it was just beautiful.
1: I also think what's important is when you're sometimes when you're child free by choice to circle back, when you're talking about, you know, sort of myths and stereotypes, I think some people think that you don't have a respect for motherhood. I think that mm. there's like, if you made a decision not mm-hmm. to have a child, and there's some sort of underlying derision or judgment there, right. Of, of the act even of motherhood. And, and, you know, that's not the case. So even though, you know, I'm child free by choice because it wasn't the right fit for my lifestyle, it's still motherhood as an act, right. is still something that, you know, I respect the same way, you know, I haven't been married, but I still respect the, you know, sanctity and value of marriage or right. How people create families. So I think it's one of those subjects like that. You can't wall off that people can't have an opinion about one way or another, just because what, what, regardless of your experiences with it, because it's so fundamental to you know, human nature. I I happen to have a mother. So there's that aspect too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've seen
3: mother, I've seen mothers in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. I have heard of the existence
2: of mothers. And so therefore that's so true though, this assumption that there isn't respect, appreciation, all of that for it. I think our conversations about whether or not to have children are so woefully inadequate. Agreed. Agreed. And so I hope that, and I would imagine that your hope is the same, that this book just contributes to that conversation because there are so many ways to love someone, to mother them, to be a family. And it just, it. we don't need to make it so binary and so, so limited, I guess. And your
1: feelings about it are allowed to change. We really wanted to show yes. that too, right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. not giving. Much of a way, but Cinnamon was, um you know, ambivalent in a lot of ways. They're confused in a lot of ways about whether she wanted to be a mother or not. And I think so often we assume that women want to be mothers, and women even themselves might assume that they want to be a mother because of the, you know, all of the societal pressures we get. It seems like the road, you know, straight mm-hmm. from like the time you're in kindergarten, you know, is like gearing you towards motherhood even subconsciously and so through our character we wanted to show that that she that all women and certainly our character had to make a very conscious choice about what she wanted to do about being a mother or not um mm-hmm. and by way of these high stakes situations she found herself in um and through that wrestling we hope that other people start thinking about you know the choice of motherhood and it being seen as a choice, uh, not yes. a foregone conclusion and not something that you're forced into. And both of those are pitfalls in our society, frankly.
2: I couldn't agree more. And I love the way you put that. It's so true. It's even embedded in the language, right? We say you are child-free by choice, but we don't say Joe has children by choice, right? Mm-hmm. It's just we yeah. don't we need some new terms, too. I was we realizing do. that. We right? do. We do.
3: And we need to see more types of women we in do. pop culture. Uh-huh. Yes. And we really do. We talked about this a lot while we were writing the book. You know, from a cultural perspective, from a mass media perspective, we see so much of motherhood, of white privileged motherhood. Yes. And white privileged motherhood it is a very specific thing. And white privileged motherhood of women who plan to have their babies at a certain time in their life. And either that works or that, that doesn't work. And then they go through different processes. They go through IVF, different fertility treatments. But it's very rare that we see what the majority of mothers go through, which is women getting pregnant when they're not necessarily ready, when um, when they don't have a partner to do it with, um, right. when they can't... When maybe they, wa- they want a baby, they're almost ready, but... Their job doesn't support them and they have no money. Those are not stories that we see nearly enough about motherhood Mm -hmm. in the media. And we wanted to talk about that when it comes to our birth mother in the story, Mm -hmm. Daisy. And I think it's more important than ever for us to show those stories, given what's happening with the restrictions on women's rights around how to choose when and how to have a child. Yes
1: and to remove some of the stigma of it we we wanted to show Daisy as a relatable you know real character you know who's who's wrestling with all these things because you know there's a lot of women out there in the world who for whatever reason can't rise to the challenge. And I use that word very intentionally. Motherhood is a challenge. Can't rise to the challenge of motherhood for a thousand different reasons that we are so quick to condemn. Mm-hmm. And so we want it as a society. Yes. And so we wanted to show, you know, characters that had mothers that society would find problematic, right? And mm-hmm. to have mothers who make choices that we would judge and, and to show that there is just, all these complexities to motherhood um, that we don't see enough and that we really try to infuse our book with. And especially, you know, that Cinnamon is a, a black, I want to say regular woman, right? Which is also important to us. The same that we did it with Riley in We Are Not Like Them, mm-hmm. where so often we see certain types of characters of color, like certain types of black characters, certain types of white characters even. And so, we were, you know, trying to shake that up a little bit too. Right.
2: Well, thank you both. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for the time and best of luck with the book. Thank you so
3: much. We love talking to you. Thank you. We appreciate you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing, and thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
2: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Mm.